You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Let's go to John 15 together and... Uh, because this is heartbeat for the house and thank you so much for coming. I realise in a world where we are all incredibly busy. I was saying to someone just recently that I think it's about 25 years ago that I remember reading an article or several articles in Australia saying that by this time, by the year 2015 plus, that Australians would be trying to find what to do with all their leisure time. That we would have become so efficient at work that literally most people's jobs would occupy one-third of the hours that they were back then in the time of the 40-hour week. Most people would only work about 15 or 16 hours. There'd be job sharing and we'd all you know, basically be going, how do we fill up the rest of our life? The latest statistics I've read say that on average now, most people are working in Australia about 45 hours per week If you own your own business, it's at least 60 plus. And contrary to all of that, uh, we are now not got more leisure time, we've got less. And the leisure time we've got, we are usually so tired, we just sit down, turn it on and, you know, now they make shows about people watching television, (laughs) which kind of freaks me out a bit. You know, I go, really? Like, how can that be a TV show? But it is. And so I appreciate that in a time-pressured uh, environment, every one of you that are here, and I know there'd be people that wanted to be here, maybe they got a shift on, or maybe you know they got a family thing they had to go to, I don't know. But uh, I just want to just say genuinely, from my heart as a pastor, I appreciate the people serving in my church. They don't have to. I appreciate that the only reason to do it is not to get a career or to get a plaque, but it's because you genuinely say, I love the house. My, uh, one of my children at one stage was going out with a boy from another church and, well, that just told you it's a girl, obviously, but anyway, that was so much of my secrets. And, uh, you know, she was very involved and the, the boy at one stage said to her, you know, you don't have to work so hard, they're not paying you enough. And uh, she looked at him and she said, you obviously don't get this. She said, I would do this if they didn't pay me at all. And I genuinely feel that way. And I hope I will till the day I leave the earth. I feel that way about this. I still feel that all that I get to do is an amazing privilege. Really. You know, like just then... We just prayed for people and were agents of the Holy Spirit for a miracle. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't bring them out here and I do it. Because I want you to know that you are not waiting for God to do something extraordinary to use you, but God is using you now to do something extraordinary. I don't know about here, but in my church, I do not greet everyone. I don't even know a lot of the people by name or even by sight sometimes. But our team of ushers and greeters, they will say hello to every single person that walks in the door. Who do you think's got the biggest impact at the beginning of a service? Me who's sitting in the front row waiting to get up to speak 
or the usher that said hello and greeted that person who might have been up early getting their kids ready to come. Maybe he's got a spouse that is not, uh, you know, into church and wanting them to go. And they've got up and made a sacrifice. Maybe it's raining. And they've walked in the door going, is it really worth it all? And then they meet you. And I look at that and I think, what an amazing impact every one of us. If you teach kids church, uh, what an incredible thing. Billy Graham had a Sunday school teacher. We just don't know her name or his name. But no doubt when we get to heaven, we'll see that person up before the throne getting a crown and we'll look at them and we'll go, who's that? And the ripple will go through the crowd. Who are they? What did they do? And Billy Graham will be there with tears running down his face applauding. We'll go, oh, he must have known. Is it a relative? Someone will say, no, that's the person that brought him to Christ when he was just a child. So you never know the kind of impact that you are having. And it's so important that we understand that because otherwise church will always, church will shift from being where I go to bless to where I go to, to as a consumer to receive. And that's a vast difference. I say to people, you're not, uh, you are not who you are when you're on the platform. You are who you are when you're home. I don't know about you, I, I, go, I travel a lot, go out a lot. You know, when I've been away, I say to Ron, I come home, I just want something simple. Can I have some lamb chops and veggies? I'm over all this whatever it's even called that I can't pronounce, you know, and vichy soir potatoes or whatever they are, trampled by the 17 virgins on Mount Olympus. I, you know, and, you know, the calf that, you know, was rooming with another thing. I don't give a rip, really. I just want something, you know, like, hello, can I have steak and chips? Uh, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like that. It's great to go to a conference. But I know as a pastor, what I love the most is I love this. I love the house. Uh, you know, you can take all the huge things that go on around the world. But you know what? If you get into trouble, you can't ring up the guy who spoke at the last conference you went to. But you can reach out to one of the leaders in this church. Are you with me? You know, life, your life is not measured by how much you heard at a conference. Your life will be measured by how strong are the connections you've got with the body of Christ. Are you with me? And I know that that might sound a bit kind of old, fogey style, whatever, or whatever, but I don't really care because I've been around long enough to know that if you, you will encounter some difficult times and when you do, you will need friends. Uh, you know, even the great apostle Paul who received communion in a revelation from Jesus himself. He said, Jesus taught me this. He said, I saw things in heaven. It's not illegal. It's not permitted for me to tell you what they even were. Think about this a minute. The guy who writes, uh, writes about half the New Testament. Amazing revelation. Even the other apostles admire him saying, look, we know some of what he says is difficult to understand, but you should listen to him anyway. Even that guy was not permitted to go alone. It's not Paul and Paul and Paul and Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. So uh, a hugely important part of nights like this 
is actually not what I tell you or what you hear. An incredibly important part of this is that you are with other people here, that we just are together. You know what I'm saying? Too many people, I think, uh, have kind of come to a, a church where I come in late, I leave early, and all I really want is the teaching. And I go, really? That's a bit like only going home to eat a meal and saying that's your family. No, it's not. That's the restaurant at your address. We're going to make sure that we are doing life together. Are you with me? This isn't my message. This is just me chatting to you because I feel like it. And uh, I just think it's so important. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion, I don't have one friend. Matter of fact, I don't have one relationship in my life where I have never been offended. Church is the only place in the world where people get offended and leave. You know about that? Think about it, matter. How many of you here have been to school in your life? Just raise your hand if you've ever been to school. I'm assuming it's 100%. All right, some of you just got withered arm or whatever, you can't lift it. I get that, all right. But here, here we go. We've all been to school. Raise your hand if you were ever offended by a teacher. See, that's 100%. How many here ever offended by a schoolmate? How many here ever went to school and people didn't like you? It's everybody. But did you not go back to school? No, you kept going. How many of you here have ever had a job in your life with a boss? How many here have ever been offended by your boss? That's again everybody. Did you go back on Monday? Yes, you did. Why is it the church is the only place in the world where when we get offended, we go, that's it. God is leading me somewhere else. It's weird. I don't understand that. If every one of my children, has, every one of my three kids has come to me at some stage or other and said, Dad, I hate school. My teachers are this and that and it's difficult. And every single one of them I've said, good. That's a lesson for life. You're going to have to learn to get on with difficult people in life. Go back. But Dad, can't you get me put in another class? No. Now, what if they've been abused? And I'm not suggesting everybody should stay in every church because some churches, frankly, people ought to leave quick. Well, they should. You know, an abusive one or one with wrong teaching or, or you know, that's unbiblical, of course you should. But however, most people don't leave churches like that. Most people leave because someone offended them. And I go, well, you didn't do that at your last job. It's, anyway, that's just me and... I think, goodness gracious me, I, 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 you know, my wife and I don't agree on everything and my wife has offended me. Well, of course she has. But you know what? Next February will be 38 years. And, you know, I guarantee I've, matter of fact, I'm sure I've offended her. No doubt whatsoever. But can you imagine how bizarre it would be if every time Rhonda offended me, I said, that's it, it's all off. How long would it last? Maybe a month? A week? Oh, who knows? Two weeks for you. Yeah, well, look who you're married to. Though. That's, the, that's the issue there. But uh, so, you know, I'm just always for saying, can we work through that? Uh, I'm going bush camping 
gold prospecting with a friend of mine. He's been my friend for, uh, before I got married, so nearly 40 years. And do you know, I've hung up on him. I've told him he's a this and a that. We've fought, but he's still my friend. Because I, I, I don't want friends that, that the only way to keep the friendship is to be shallow. And you don't want to go to a church where the only way to like everybody is to not turn up. You don't want a pastor where the only way to like them is for them, for them to preach something so innocuous and so inoffensive that you could never, you just sit there and go, well, didn't do anything, but you know, at least he didn't offend me or she. Amen. Well, okay, it's probably time for me to preach now. Just thought I'd say a few things that are on my heart because I think we need to hear them. And I know everybody here, I'm not saying that because of anything I've heard, by the way. I don't know anything about what's going on. Um, I'm blissfully ignorant. So don't think I'm addressing anything that the pastor may have said because he hasn't said anything apart from that. You're all amazing, wonderful and incredible individuals, which is what he said. Uh, But, you know, I just think tuck it away because I I find the, the largest church in Australia... Do you know what it is? What's the largest church in Australia? No, it's not the largest church in Australia. The largest church in Australia is the church you've used to go. It's the church you used to go. It's the biggest church in the country. I used to go. I used to go. Why aren't you going, oh, well, you know, someone ignored me. You know, someone offended me. And I go, really? That's all it took. Boy, the devil must have laughed the day you came into the kingdom. He must have thought that one's a pushover and they're gone. Amen. Well, now that we're through all that, I'll try and get it all off me. Joshua chapter 5. And let me give you what I trust is a word from the Lord for you as a church. I submit it to your pastors and your elders and, and your youngers and your everybody else's. Um, but I'm glad I didn't even actually know what this meeting was for. I just assumed it was the Sunday night service. And uh, so I got this word and uh, felt like it was a word from God for your church. So we'll go with it. And at the end of it, uh, if your pastor gets up and says, delete the tape, that was all rubbish, then you will know that he doesn't agree. All right? <laughs> Joshua 5, that's made him nervous. Joshua 5 verse 1, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan, all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast, heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross. They lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. It's all up there, so I'm just going to read real fast, all right? At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives, circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives, circumcise the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men are old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt to die in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but now those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness, well, you can read it, they've been circumcised. I don't even know why I'm reading it. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died, for they disobeyed the Lord. The Lord vowed he wouldn't let them enter the land. He sworn to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's place, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. Verse 8, I want to pause on that. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. 
Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. It just means roll away. Uh, while the Israelites were camped to Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. Verse 12. No manna appeared on the day. They first ate from the crops of the land. It was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, I like Joshua. Joshua is always ready for a fight. Do I get a witness? Amen. He says, are you friend or foe? He said, I'm neither. Think about that a minute. He didn't say, I'm not your foe. He said, I'm neither. He said, I'm not on your side, nor am I against your side. That's such a distinct difference from I'm not against you. He said, I'm not on your side, and I'm not against you either. He said, I am my own side. I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and at this Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? What an amazing statement to make. This follows on from Joshua 1. It starts off by saying, Moses, my servant is dead. A lot of sentiment there. Therefore, arise, go and take this people across this Jordan into the land which I've given you. And then God gives him all these promises. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. God says, today I'm going to hallow you in front of all the people. They're all going to know that you've got the mantle, you've got the gift, you've got the calling. And out of all that, so you're a new young leader who's come into an amazing position. And, but he understands, I may be that, listen, I may be that to the people. But before God, I don't wear the cap of, of a prophet. I don't wear the captain, the, sorry, the cap of the leader of the army. I don't wear the cap of ruler of the people. Before God, here it is. Every Christian leader needs to hear this and understand it. Before God, the cap I wear before him is that of servant. No matter what your title is in this church, oh, I'm an elder. You wear the cap of elder in front of the people. But when you get before God, you wear the cap of servant. You may be the head of some team or other, and you might have been doing it for years and people applaud you, and so they ought, perhaps. But I'll tell you this much. You need to understand when you get before God, He is not impressed by anything you or I have done. God's not there going, wow, Jeff Woodward, I've read his bio. Really? I don't think he's impressed one iota by anything anybody says. I've got to come before him saying, I'm wearing this cap. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. I love this story, this passage, because it's amazing change in the church. And uh, this is my, I said this morning, this is my 41st year full time. I was raised by Christian parents. Uh, I don't know that I was one for most of my early life. I'm pretty sure I wasn't. But uh, I, I do know that I thank God for that heritage and for what they brought to my life. Uh, but, you know, I, I grew up in a little country town 
where there was only the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, and then there was the Salvation Army, and that was our family. And there wasn't anybody else. And uh, I, I've seen enough of church life over the years to realize that churches, like everything else, experience amazing change. I do know that change is inevitable. I think I said to you this morning, did I? I said it somewhere recently. Uh, I, my father, when he moved into the, into the high care part, uh, was lamenting to me about the changes that had been forced upon him. And I said, Dad, uh, success and happiness belong to the people who can adapt to the change fastest. You may be sitting here tonight going, I wish you know, this was like the uh, days of Billy Graham or I wish this was like the days of the charismatic renewal or I wish this was like the days of Azusa Street. But here I've got bad news for you. They're all dead and they're all gone. The only day I get to serve God in is this day. And so change happens for all of us. Most of us resisted at first. Uh, there are only two ways to deal with change. Most people resist it. Other people get creative with it. It's up to you which one you do, but change is inevitable. My kids sometimes would say to me, well, I remember when I turned 50, my kids said to me, Dad, you're so old. But they said it as though somehow or other I'd stumbled in my walk in my time and and I'd taken a detour and I'd ended up in oldness. You know, that it was the result of a misstep somewhere along the way. Like, gee, Dad, you're so old. Like, what happened to you? It hit you in the night. One minute, you, then it got you. And I looked at my kids. I remember the time and I said, you know, if you keep breathing, you'll end up in the same place. You know... Uh, my father's 98. How do you get to be 98? You keep breathing after 97. It's not hard. When he turns 100, he'll get a telegram from the... Well, it won't be a telegram anymore. Uh, it'll probably be a, you know, an Instagram message from the Queen. He'll get one from the Governor-General of Australia, one from the, uh, from the Prime Minister, one from the Opposition Leader, blah, 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 on it goes. I know because I've seen all those. When my wife's grandma turned 100, we were there and they presented with all this stuff, you know. But you're not celebrating an achievement. You're celebrating not dying yet. <laughs> Change is inevitable. It's how I deal with it that really matters. Here's a couple of quotes. I think I've got them up for you. This was from Western Union, the communications company, when Alexander Graham Bell tried to sell them his new invention, the telephone. This is what they said. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a practical form of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. What use could this company make of an electrical toy? Anybody got a phone? Look at it. We can't even live without them now. We're addicted to them. Or what about this? This was the US Congress 20 years before Henry Ford mass-produced the first car. 
There already were cars out. This is what they said. Horseless carriages propelled by gasoline might attain speeds of 14 or even 20 miles an hour. The menace to our people of vehicles of this type are hurtling through our streets and along our roads and poisoning the atmosphere would call for prompt legislative action. The cost of producing gasoline is far beyond the financial capacity of private industry. In addition, the development of this new power may displace the use of horses, which would wreck our agriculture. And here we are now with driverless cars on our roads already. Amazing, isn't it? These were people that resisted change, that said it's impossible. You know, when Orbel and Wilver Wright took off in the Kitty Hawk from that, that field outside their home, uh, when they did that, it was four years before anything was put in a newspaper about their flight. You'd think something so momentous would have captured the attention of the planet, but it took four years before anyone even said anything about it. Change happens, whether we like it or not. There's change in the world around about us, progress we call it, and uh, do what you like about that. Quite frankly, I'm really pleased about it. I remember when my son told me as a young man that he wanted to buy a Morris Minor, and that was his little dream car, you know, the little bubbled Morris Minor. And I said to him, do you know why you want a Morris Minor? And he said, why is that, Dad? I said, it's because you've never owned one. I said, they've got a tiny motor, They've got drum brakes, no power steering, no heating, you know, probably vacuum wipers. You know, you know, that's why you want one. Nostalgia is not all it was cracked up to be. Amen? I'm about the rest of you here. I remember, hello, that's talk age here, baby. I can remember as the eldest son, my job was to light the copper. Now, for those of you who have never heard of it, and right now you're going, what's a copper, Dan? Dan, what's a copper? Was he lining up a policeman, Dan? Was that his job? You know, Dad, did he get a little compromise? We had this big thing. It was like a size of a barbecue called the copper. And my job was to light that full of water and boil the water for our baths. We would carry it upstairs. Like, and now we got spa bath. Huh? My car, my car can park itself. I won't let it because I'm in charge because I'm a man. But it can park itself. It's got park assist. You just press a button and parks, reverse parks the car. Really? You know, if you're following too close, it'll apply the brakes for you. First time it did it, it freaked me out. I'm like, whoa, this big red thing flashed up on the dash. I'm like, oh, wow, you know. You know what I mean? It's like, I thank God for progress. I thank God for doctors that don't just go, oh, well, you know, put on a bread poultice and send them home. And half of you there are going, you'd like to know what a bread poultice is, wouldn't you? Huh? Oh, it's just, you don't want to go there, really. Thank God for all that stuff, you know. If you're a doctor or a nurse here, well done. Seriously, well done. I'm really pleased I don't go to the dentist. He doesn't say, well, we're first of all going to have to dig around there with a sharp stick. (laughs) I'm pretty pleased he doesn't get out a hammer and a screwdriver and go, well, 
Only thing is to knock that sucker out. I'm pretty glad he doesn't get a big pair of ice grips and say, hope it a bit wider, here we go. Nurse, bring me the mallet. I'm pretty happy for all that stuff. You know, if you're one of those Luddites, well, I don't believe in computers. Really? Me and I hope they computerise everything. You know, go for it. Well, yeah, but we've got to resist the mark of the beast. We do. But until then, let's enjoy all the progress we can come up with. Amen? How many people believe a microwave is just one of the greatest inventions God ever gave to the human race? Amen. Otherwise, nobody under 25 would be able to eat. (laughs) Oh, dear, that was so funny. So there's change that happens around about us and you can't do much about it except go and hide in a cave. Then there's all the change you want to make. Let me just check here. I'll ask the men first because you're a bunch of fashionistas. I've looked around Newcastle and go, what a hipster place this is. What was that laugh for there, brother? So how many men here have changed your hairstyle? Forced upon you. Okay, I'll forget the men. They don't count on stuff like this. How many women here have changed your hairstyle in the last year? Just give me a little wave. Yeah. Oh, come on now. Put those hands up. We're not, we're not against it. We like it. We feel like we're married to someone new every year. I said to one of my eldest daughter the other day, I don't even remember what colour hair your hair actually is anymore. It's been every other colour. I wouldn't know what it really is. So there's the kind of changes we make, but then there's the change that God initiates. And that's what I want to speak about to you tonight, believe it or not, in the next 10 minutes. And that's your fault for making me have so much fun. If you'd been a tough crowd, a boring crowd, this wouldn't have happened. I would have said, oh God, let me get over this real fast. We would have been, into, we'd been out of here by now, down there at the Chico Rolls and the Party Pies. Is that what we're having? No. No Party Pies? I, how many people love a good Party Pie? Give me a wave. See, look at that. We're voting overwhelmingly for Party Pies. Uh, we can't pronounce what we're having? Shish kabob. Huh? Musolata, Spanakopita. I laughed, that's a Greek dish. I went to school with her. I, just, uh, I, feel, I feel like Pastor Danny Guglamucci's turned up. Um, bad jokes and all. Um, it's your fault. All right, that's where I was. Uh, I want to speak about God initiated change because. The only word I felt in my heart for this church was that you are entering a season of divinely ordained change dash good change. I'm not here to announce whatever they are. I don't really know. And God hasn't called me to announce it anyway. I'm not the vision caster for this church. Your pastor is. And so I trust that God will speak to your leadership about how to navigate those changes, but I do believe with all my heart that you're entering into a season that you, I'm here, I think, this weekend 
to help prepare your heart for the changes God wants to bring, all right? Whatever they look like. And, and I don't care how old you are or what your role is. Because some of you might go, well, it doesn't matter to me anyway. You know, I'm a kid's show. I do the same thing every week. Well, really? How do you know that that's what God wants for your future? Here's a couple of thoughts for you and for me to navigate change. Probably our church at the moment. Do you know, uh, I, I think I told your pastor on the way up from the airport yesterday, I said, you know, the last six to nine months, I felt like the Holy Spirit has kept saying to me, are you willing to change? Are you willing to risk? Not, not to preach it, but just to ask me. I was in Cambodia early this year and, and uh, I'd turned 60 this year and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, clear as a bell, will you give me the next 60? I feel like for me, uh, the question is, are you willing to let me rearrange things? I told you, Pastor, I've just made in our church probably the biggest leadership changes I've ever made in my life. And if it was up to me and my comfort, it was up to what suits me best, I wouldn't make any of them. They all involve more work. They all involve more difficulty. They all involve more stretching. But I never want to protect what I have because if I do, I'll never go into my tomorrows. Here's the first thing. We've got to leave in order to enter. We've got to lose in order to gain. It's a principle of life. If you want to gain a marriage, you must lose your independence. Because nothing will destroy a marriage faster than someone who says, I do, but afterwards says, I won't. Isn't that right? If you're going to marry somebody, if you're going to really get all the benefits of marriage, you've got to stop living like a single person. If you want to gain a family of children, oh my goodness, you're going to give up a whole lot of stuff. Time for one that used to be your own. And so it is with every single change that God brings in life. Most of us are happy with change so long as we're not made uncomfortable or so long as we're the ones who are in charge of it. But when God makes change, listen to me, when God makes change, you're not in charge of it. I feel a bit like I'm on this massive adventure ride and I can't see around the bend. That's what a good roller coaster does. I don't like roller coasters, by the way. I've been on a few of them and I hate them. And the reason I hate them is because you can't see what's coming up next. I remember going on the one in Tomorrowland in Disney World in Florida, which is in the dark. And you can't see, and all of a sudden you, you prepare yourself if you could see that the whole track dropped away like that, but you can't see it. And all of a sudden you just, your stomach is still there, but the rest of your body's down there. You know, we're comfortable when we are in charge or when we're the ones started it. But these people had to leave something behind. I haven't got time to go into this, but it's important to, if you go back and check in, in Joshua, when they, the priest came and stood in the middle of the River Jordan, God said, tell the one leader from every tribe to go and get one stone, write their name on it and go and build a memorial in the middle of the Jordan. And they built a 12 stone memorial in the middle of the Jordan. Then guess what? God flooded it. And all their work disappeared. Think about that a minute. Why didn't God say build it up on the hill? 
so you can keep going back and remind you. There's got to be some things that we're willing to let go of. You can't keep going into your tomorrows while you keep holding on to yesterday. You know, we were talking earlier, some of the creative team and myself, and because uh, I had an older lady in my church say to me a couple of months ago, she said, you know, I, I just really miss those old songs. They had such good theology in them. I said, really? Do you mean the ones like joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart? Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. Why the king? And we all waved our dirty hankies around. I said, you mean that one? Or do you mean this is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice, we will be rejoice and be glad in it and be glad in it. For this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. said, not a lot of theology in there if you ask me. <laughs> what she was really saying was, I remember how those songs made me feel. Now there's nothing, listen to me. I've got no problem with nostalgia. Somebody here might be an Elvis lover. No, I actually don't care if you do. Wouldn't worry me. I like the old hymns. I grew up with them. You know, my, my wake-up alarm for uh, my phone is O Boundless Salvation. They call it the Founders Song in the Salvo. O boundless salvation, deep oceans of love, O fullness of mercy, Christ brought from above. My gracious Redeemer, how, how something thou art. You know, it's, it's, it's a magnificent, stirring song. I love it. I've got no problem with nostalgia, but it'd be terrible if I said, you know what, no thing, there's no good songs. to. I'm refusing to learn a new one because I like the old. Jesus addressed that with his disciples when he talked about the old wineskins. He said, come on. He said, you've got to let go of some stuff if you're going to go into tomorrow. And here's what I've discovered, is that you'll always keep what you love the most. Remember that. You'll always keep whatever you love the most. Thousands of churches have loved tradition, style, and keeping everyone happy more than they have loved their calling and their destiny. Go and read the address to the seven churches of Revelation and you'll see that all of them by one, Jesus rebukes them because there's something they love more than what they were called to do. Can I be this blunt and say to you, everybody here at Gen City Church, every one of you must love the calling God put on this church more than you like the shape of this church. Are you with me? Are you all still here? Is, is this going anywhere to anybody here? I want it to go to you. I don't want you to hear a sermon. I don't have one. I want you to hear something that I think the Holy Spirit wants to resonate. In a minute, I'm going to ask us all to pray for each other because we're all in this together. We've got to leave in order to enter. They had to lose something. They got circumcised. That's fairly intensely personal. And it was pretty uncomfortable. God is not saying to you that every change that comes your way is going to be okay and you're going to enjoy it. Just a little parting thought there. Here's number two. The second thing is, are you willing to wait? When it comes to change, are you willing to wait? We divide into two groups, I think. We divide into those people that will put off change as long as they can and those people that love it so much they want to do it now. Now. Gone. 
Verse 1 says that all their enemies are easy pickings and if ever it was time to strike, it's now. And then God says, stay until you're healed. Do you know how frustrating that would have been? You've waited 40 years for all the old fogies to die off. All the unbelievers have gone. Your church is brand new, ready to roll. It specifically says all these men armed for war. They're ready to fight. And God says, you know what? Before you fight, stop and wait. I don't know about you, the hardest thing I've ever had in my life for me as a Christian is when I hear the Holy Spirit saying, not now. And I go, really? Can't I at least drop a hint? Can't I go and tell them something? Can't we move a little bit? I want to hurry the thing up. God often wants to do something in you before he does something through you. So I'm not talking here about change and some of you are going to be going, not more change, I've had enough. God, no more. But you know, when God's time's right, God's time's right. He's always quick, but he's never in a hurry. Amen. Here's number three. When the season changes, God does things differently. He does new things. Verse 11 and verse 12 says this, that the very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manner appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land. It was never seen again. You've gone to the first church of manna gathering. I remember when we stopped having communion every service. I had people tell me that would be the end of the church. The Holy Spirit would leave. The devil would come. You know, right now, can I tell you, at this point, I want to start having communion every week again. Do, you, do I think there's a biblical injunction to have it every week? No, I don't, actually. People say, oh, the Bible says as often as you meet together. I said, so do you to have it at home group? No, I go, well, that's as often as you meet. I said, go back and read the Bible. It doesn't say as often as you meet. It says as often as you do this, remember me. But anyway, that's another story here just to stir the cat amongst the pigeons a bit more. But see, I don't want to get so locked in onto a way. That's how demon denominations get started. You know, is that we go, we like it like this. And we will do it like that. Why? Well, because we always have. That's why. Before they just collected manna and now they've got to work. I think the real measure of a person's ministry or leadership or character is in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. Be prepared whether the time or the season is favourable or not. Here's the deal. Are you going to be consistent when things around you change and you don't like them that way, you like them the way they used to be? Will you still be there? Are you faithful in a season of low or no appreciation? Or does it take applause to get your motor running? I've never been in a church yet where there wasn't one ministry or several that felt like they were the poor cousins of the church. Oh, you know, they're always talking about youth. They're never talking about us. Women's ministry. She, 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 she's the cat's mother. And bad leadership is to go, boy, we better even this out. So we're going to, you know, how many minutes do we give to you? We better give the same minutes to that and to that. Or do we say, you know what, I'm doing all this for Jesus anyway. 
Some of you are looking at me like, I should have stayed home. The Paralympics is on. I could have watched that. Am I going to be consistent when I've got momentum or not? When things are going your way or not? Here's the last one. You've been very patient listening to me. We've got to leave in order to enter. We've got to lose in order to gain. Am I willing to wait? When the season changes, God will do things differently. He'll do new things. You've got to just be comfortable with that. Amen? Hello. It's okay. And please don't think that I'm announcing something and there's some big hidden ogre in the wings riding and it burst out. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Pretty honestly. All I know is that great things and great opportunities are prepared by the Holy Spirit for this church. And I don't want to be so in love with the way I'm doing it now that God's got no room to bring out something different. I don't want to so love the way it goes. Well, pastor, you know, I I want to be open to what God's... Here's the last one. Will you worship anyway? What really matters? See, when I worship, what I'm really saying is this. When we sang it, I love that song. We might sing it again. The Lord's Prayer one. I've never heard it before. The Lord's Prayer I've heard, obviously. Uh, Just haven't heard that song. You know, not my will, but yours be done. When you worship, what you're really saying is, it's not my agenda. I'm saying, you know what? Here's my preferences. Here's the things I think matter. Here's what I believe. But Lord, when I worship, I say, it's neither friend nor foe. I'm just going to lay it down. He's ready to bow. He's ready to receive. He's ready to obey. He's ready to put aside his own agenda. But listen, he's waited 40 years for this moment. It's a pretty big deal. 40 years he's been trained, marching up and down, wanting to contact the enemy. For 40 years, he's shadow boxed. He's never laid a punch on anybody. 40 years wandering through the wilderness going, well, what do I do? I'm trained for leadership, but he's not leading because Moses is. I'm trained for war, but it's not happening. He's got all of this going on and then this moment comes and the first thing God says is, lay down your agenda. It's not about you. What a beautiful thing that is. I want to be the kind of leader in my own church. He says, well, it's not about what I want. It's not about whether I think we ought to, you know, I'm, you know I, I wish it was a bit more like this. God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to engage with people? Lord, have you got some new way of interacting with people you want us to take on? Is there new ministries you want to raise up? Well, Lord, but we're so busy. We got no time. Oh, God, no. I'm, maybe there's some things we should stop in order that we can take on something new. But Lord, I'm out of my depth. God, I've never done that before. I wouldn't know how to do it. Go back to message this morning. You're only going to develop your destiny sometimes in the difficult place where you're out of your depth. Amen. Am I willing to worship anyway? I pray that we all are because that's the kind of leader I want to be genuinely. I want to cross my River Jordan. I want to go, you know, God, whatever you got, I'm scared, but I'm excited at the same time. I want to go with what you got. How about we stand up?